Amen. Well, good morning, Waypoint. How are we all doing today? It is really good to be invited back. It's always a compliment when you're invited back somewhere. And uh, last time uh, my wife, Laura, and I visited, we had two daughters. Now we have three. So on the 25th of January, uh, River was born, and she's at the back with uh, Laura there, and she's a a great blessing, uh, is doing really well. And I believe that her name, River, ties in with your motto for the season uh, from Ezekiel 47, uh, wherever the river of life flows, uh, there is life. And so there is at least two rivers here today, and uh, the most important one is the river of life. God's Holy Spirit is here, and I'm believing that you are going to receive words of life and encouragement and blessing. So today, today is about sharing a message of hope. How many of you know that at the moment in the world, there's a lot of people that feel very hopeless, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of confusion, there's a, a lot of doubt and disappointment that's going on. But we have a message of hope. And Jesus is the hope of the world. And so that's something that we should not be keeping to ourselves, but we should be sharing and, and communicating with other people. This is a scripture that often uh, typically gets shared at baptisms and is given as a, a, a promise. And that's found in Jeremiah 29.11. I'm sure many of you will be able to quote this verse. But it talks about how that not only is God a God of hope, but he also has a future for you filled with hope. So if you're here today or you're watching online or in the, uh, the north venue, you need to know... God is a God of hope, but he's also got a hope-filled future for you as well. And so I really wanted to encourage you with that. It says, you know, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. The Apostle Paul in Romans 15, 13, he said, you know, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God is a God of hope. It's important that we know what God's like. And that's why it's important that we be people that we read the Word of God, that we know what the Word of God says. He is a God of hope. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and give him some encouragement today and say, God is a God of hope. God is a God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How many of you need a bit more joy and peace right now? How many of you think that the world needs a bit more joy and peace, particularly with what's going on in Ukraine? We know that it's something that's so important. God wants to release more joy. He wants us to release uh, more peace in our lives. And let me say this, joy is very different to happiness. 
Happiness is about what is happening, you know, with the circumstances around you. But joy is something that's much, much deeper. We can have joy in the midst of struggle. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in in Nehemiah, I think it's 8.10. And it says that the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that was shared not in a time when Nehemiah and the community were having it easy. It wasn't all sunshines and rainbows and candy floss. And it wasn't. It was a time of conflict as they were trying to rebuild the walls. And yet there was opposition. But God's word in that moment is the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a real strength that comes when we experience God's joy in our lives. We can be in a place and experience peace. And and that doesn't mean that there's not storms going on around us. Because peace is about something that's happening inwardly. I'm reminded about Jesus when he was asleep in the boat. You remember that part where he was in a storm and the disciples, they're all freaking out. They're worried. They're stressed. They're like, Jesus, what are you doing asleep? Don't you realize what's going on? There's a storm going on. And there was Jesus asleep in the bottom of the boat. The same waves that terrified the disciples rocked Jesus to sleep like a baby in the arms of its mother or father, you could say. God wants each and every one of us today to experience his peace. And in this scripture, in this verse here in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So there's a condition there. It's not just, oh, great, I've got joy and peace. No, there is a condition here that we, you know, when we, when we get these great promises, we have to pull on them sometimes by doing some corresponding action. So the corresponding action here, as we trust him, as we trust in God, there's this peace, there's this joy that will begin to flow in our hearts and lives. And then it says, so that you might overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's God doesn't want you to just have enough hope for you, but he wants you to be able to share it with other people. Part of my job, my role as a pastor, is to be a dealer in hope. And if you are here today and you are a believer, you are a Christian, you too are also called to be a dealer in hope. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, give them some encouragement, and say you're called to be a dealer of hope. We are called, we are called to share the hope that we have, a God of hope. We have a future filled with hope as well. And that scripture in, in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that we often quote, again, that wasn't a rosy situation either. Because in the context there, the people of God had been exiled. They'd been taken away from their homeland. They were oppressed. They were in a difficult circumstance. And God spoke in and said, I've got a bright future for you. 
and it's a future filled with hope. So that's what I wanted to do today, just to bring a message of hope from the Word of God uh, for you today, to encourage you, to bless you, hopefully to inspire you as well. Recently, Laura and I were invited to uh, a special lunch that was hosted in the tallest building in the United Kingdom. Anyone know what the tallest building in the United Kingdom is? It's the Shard. And it's like a, a, a narrow kind of pyramid shape. And so we were invited to this gathering of leaders and uh, different people who oversee prayer movements and pastors. And there was a really nice posh three-course meal. So when the invitation came through, I didn't have to ask Laura twice. It's like, we're going. This sounds amazing. And so we would have a time of prayer and just fellowship and connecting. But it was really about encouraging pastors and leaders uh, at that time. So we arrived and it was, you know, there were chandeliers and it was very high up the shard. The view was stunning. You could see all the iconic uh, places in London, the Tower Bridge and uh, the London Eye. And so it was an amazing place to have a prayer meeting. Now, typically... Uh, in church, they normally say that prayer meetings, generally speaking, they say are normally the least attended meetings. Well, it was a very well attended meeting. And I was joking with one of the other pastors and saying, hey, you know, if they had more prayer meetings like this with three course meals, you know, high up on the shelf, I think a lot more people would show up. So we were having a great time. I think Laura, Laura even said like it was one of the best meals that she had ever had. And it was all paid for. It was all you know, just a blessing. So it was a real honor and privilege and, and very refreshing to be there. Well, about halfway through uh, this gathering together where we were just enjoying, often we go places and we're minister, we go to minister. But as I said to Laura, it's really nice just to be able to come, come somewhere where you're just receiving. You're just being blessed. About halfway through the event, as we're tucking into our lovely meal, uh, the MC gets up and, and announces that all of the pastors are going to be sharing a word from the Lord shortly. To which I look at Laura and like, that's news to me. I didn't know that we were meant to be sharing. So what did I do in that moment? I started to pray. God, give me a word. What do you want to say? What do you want to communicate to these people? And this is, this is what I felt the Lord lay on my heart, and I believed it was for the people then, but I also believe it's for the body of Christ. It's for the, the capital C church now as well. And this was the first thing. You know, I was dialoguing with the Holy Spirit. God, why have you brought us to the highest building in the United Kingdom? You've really brought us to an upper room, but why? What's the reason? And I felt like the Holy Spirit saying to me, that God was calling his church up higher so that we can have a better perspective. God's calling us up higher so that we can have a better perspective. You know, when you're on ground level, things can look very big and overwhelming and maybe even at times feel daunting. 
Sometimes because of you know, uh, the way that things are positioned, it can block your view, it can restrict your view. But when you go up higher, suddenly you're able to see things from a completely different perspective. You're taken up higher and suddenly you can see how things link in. You can see the bigger picture. Suddenly things that seemed overwhelming are like, oh, they're really small. And I was able, as we were looking out over this panoramic view of London and beyond into, into the horizon, I was able to find really big buildings and just get my thumb and be able to block them out. Or with a hand, just being able to, to you know, hide big areas of land, iconic buildings. <clears throat> God's calling us up higher as the church so that we can have a better perspective. Now the Bible talks about in Ephesians 2, 6 that we are as Christians seated with Christ in heavenly places. So positionally, if you've accepted Christ into your life, you are one with Christ and you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So in other words, you're already as high as you'll ever need to be because you're one in Christ. But the reality is that we don't always think and operate from our position of who we are, what our true identity is. I love that song that we were singing um, earlier on. We are who he says we are. And in Colossians 3.2, it says, set your mind on things above not on things on the earth. In other words, get your thinking, get rid of the stinking thinking at the ground level, the earthly thinking, and begin to have a heavenly perspective in how that you see things. Come up higher so that you can have a better view. The prophet Isaiah spoke and he said that those who wait on the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. And then it goes on to say, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. What's that saying? What's the prophet there communicating? He's saying, come higher. There's a better view. It's a better perspective when you're up there than when you're down below. And suddenly you start to see, because when we look at isolated situations in our life, it's very easy to become very discouraged, disillusioned. But when we come up higher, I think about the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. And if you're just to kind of zone in and and, and, and magnify, you know, parts of the story, it would be very easy to think God's abandoned Joseph. Things are going wrong. But when we come up higher and we see the bigger picture of the story and we're like, ah, like now I see why God allowed me to go through certain things. At the end of Genesis, in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph is basically, um, his father has passed away. The brothers are all a little bit nervous because they're thinking, well, you know, he wouldn't have wanted to upset dad by punishing us after everything that we did to him, the rejection, the abuse that we gave him, selling him into slavery. What's he going to do now? Is he going to finish us off? And, and Joseph tells his brothers, don't, don't worry. 
He says, because now I know that what you meant for harm, God used for good so that the lives of many might be saved. See, that's where his perspective began to shift and it began to change. And and some of you here, maybe you've been through some stuff. Maybe you've been through some hardships, some, some struggles, some challenges. And, and, and I want to say this, that with God, he can use even the things that hurt us to help us. And I want to say this, that not even just help us, but also help the lives of other people as well. You see, our perspective matters I think about Moses and the children of Israel, how that God had given them this promised land, this amazing place that he'd blessed them, he'd given to them. And in Numbers 13, we see that Moses sends in 12 spies. Many of you will be familiar with the story. But the spies had different perspectives. Ten came back with a negative report. They were like, oh my goodness, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. These are some really big guys. You know, these are big giants. And we should not go into this land. It it will be suicide. We will get annihilated. Let's not do it. Let's hold back. That was what ten of the spies said. But what did Joshua and Caleb say? They saw exactly the same land, the same things, the same people, but they had a different perspective. One was a perspective, the ten, that was very much motivated by fear. Joshua and Caleb, they came back and they had a perspective that was motivated by faith. And it wasn't that they were living in denial, that they were burying their head in the sands and saying that there weren't some big people there. They acknowledged there was a realistic thinking that they were like, yeah, there's some big challenges. Yes, there's going to be some some obstacles to overcome. Yes, there's some big people in the land. But with our God, we can overcome because our God is bigger. Well, what was the outcome of their perspective? Because I really want to communicate this. Your perspective really matters. How you choose to perceive things, it really, really matters. What was the consequence of the ten who, had a, who brought a negative report back? Did they enter into the promised land? No. The ten that had a negative fear-based report did not enter into the promised land. Here's the tragic thing. And an entire generation that listened to them didn't enter in as well. So I want to say to you, be very careful what reports you release and share with other people. The two, Joshua and Caleb, that had a faith-filled report... They were the only ones who got to enter into that promise. You see, it's not just enough. It's not just enough to have an inheritance from God. We sometimes have to contend for it. How many of you know that? You know, yes, they were given the promised land. Amazing, great. But it wasn't just a case of, oh, let's sit back, let's be passive. No, they had to put their faith into work. They had to step out. They had to fight some battles. They had to contend. 
And we as the people of God, God's given us these amazing promises, amazing blessings, but sometimes we have to contend for what is ours. And the enemy wants to try and rob you of of his best for you. I was reading in the news recently about um, these people that had uh, entrusted a couple with uh, money um, for their pension. And they thought that they were investing in property. And this couple were basically um, getting rich off a lie because they were taking the money and they were using it for their own lavish holidays and, uh, you know, buying lots of expensive things. And the tragic thing is that I think hundreds of people actually lost, you know, lots of money. There was millions of pounds that went missing. And this is a sobering reminder for us that there is an enemy. In John 10, 10, it says the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So we have, we can't bury our head in the sand. We, we must be alert. We must be sober and we must acknowledge that yes, there is an enemy that wants to rob you of your inheritance. But the good news is that Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. What is your perspective? Because your perspective matters and it is a choice how you choose to perceive things. It can be the difference of you enjoying the inheritance that God has for you or missing out on it. Don't miss out on God's best for you. Be a person of faith. Look at your problems. Look at the obstacles, the challenges through the lens of faith, knowing that whatever you're facing, our God is greater. Our God is bigger. This was the second thing that I uh, felt the Lord lay on my heart in that moment as I was starting to prepare for what I was going to share with the other pastors and leaders. I felt like God say to me, um, look up the word shard. Because I was not familiar with that phrase. I wasn't familiar with that word. So I got my phone out, went on to trusty Google and asked Google, what does shard mean? And the answer came back was that shard means a broken piece of glass or metal or ceramic or stone that has a sharp edge. And what I felt that the Lord was saying, as soon as I read it, I just felt like Holy Spirit saying, there are many people who feel very broken in this time, and they need to hear, and they need to know that I'm giving them a greater cutting edge. For many of us in this season that we have experienced and felt very broken, but I believe that what God is doing is he's sharpening our vision. He's causing us to be more dynamic. It says that the the word of God is like, you know, sharper than a two-edged sword. So God is wanting us to be effective. He's wanting us. And I believe in this season, God is giving his church a greater cutting edge that we might be more effective. More effective in spiritual warfare. More effective in discipleship and evangelism and ministry and all the forms that that takes on. Often we pray these prayers, don't we? God, I want breakthrough. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? God, I want breakthrough. Bring breakthrough. Breakthrough for our church. Breakthrough for for my family. We pray these prayers of breakthrough and then we're surprised when something breaks. 
I think about when a few years ago, Laura and I, we decided to um, replace our shack on the back of our house, which was our conservatory, where all the local neighborhood cats would come and sleep. And it needed to be improved. It needed to be upgraded. So we decided let's have it knocked down and let's uh, have an improved conservatory put on the back of our house. Well, that meant that the back wall of our house had to be knocked out. There was a lot of things that were broken. There was a lot of things. There was a lot of dust and rubble and dirt. And it was very inconvenient. And it was very, very costly. And in that moment, if, I was, if we were to zoom in and, and say, you know, is this a good thing? We'd say, no, this is a terrible thing that's going on right now. Everything seems broken and everything's, you know, up, up in arms. It's, it's not a good time. It's very inconvenient. And it's very expensive. But actually, when you come up higher, when you recognize there is a bigger picture, there is a, there is a purpose in the process. And fast forward, when the extension conservatory was finished off, it looks great. And we were really, really happy with the outcome. But we couldn't get the outcome that we wanted without first there being a breaking. And this is the gospel message, isn't it? That we know that Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. He was pierced. He was wounded. He was crushed. He went through the the painful torture of the cross and everything that led up to that. Why did he do that? He did that, that through his brokenness, that we could be healed, that we could experience new life, forgiveness, hope, for our lives. So I want to encourage you and say, if you're here and maybe you've experienced some brokenness in your life, don't keep it to yourself. Give it to God because God wants to give you a greater cutting edge. The third thing that I felt like the Lord lay on my heart, I actually got just before I was asked to speak. There was a pastor who had arrived late to this lunch. You could tell that he was, he was a bit down. He was a bit discouraged. He came in limping on a walking stick with his wife. And he was actually asked to speak um, before I was, just before I was asked to, to get up and share with the leaders. His name was Moses. And there he was limping on this crutch, on this walking stick. And when he got up, he shared really honestly, and you could really sense that there was some discouragement, there was some disappointment, because he was sharing about, he says, I really believe that God's given me a healing ministry. And so I pray for people to be healed. I believe that God is Yahweh Rapha. He's the Lord God, our healer. And yet, here I am, with this back issue that, that I've been diagnosed with, and he was having problems with nerves in his back, and that was why he was given this stick. And he said, here I am, in need of healing myself. And he was really discouraged, and his wife got up and said, can we pray for, pray for Moses, because it's a really tough time right now. Moses was saying about, you know, he really you know, believed in miracles. He believed in signs and wonders. He believed that God wanted to touch and change people's lives. But here he was questioning it all. Maybe, 
Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. How can I be praying for people for healing when I need healing myself? So he sat down and then I was asked, Daniel, do you want to get up and and share um, the word of the Lord with uh, the rest of us here? So I got up, I stood up at my table and, and first of all, I looked at Moses and I said, did you just say that your name's Moses? And he said, yeah. I said, you know, there's a story in the Bible about a guy called Moses who had a stick and it was a very significant stick that was used to do very significant things. You know what happened? The whole room erupted in laughter. Suddenly it cut across the the feeling of heaviness that was in the room of discouragement. There he was and he said, hey, do you know what? He said, I never even thought about it like that before. And I'm like, but you're Moses. And your stick will be used for miracles. Your stick will be used. Don't be held back by your circumstances. You know, God loves to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And you know what? This is my experience is that when you feel weak, God is strong. And this is, this is the revelation that the apostle Paul got, that he got to a place where he would boast about his weakness that he might glory in God's strength. That's a good place for us to be. And I just in that moment just felt like the Lord just prophetically giving me some words for Moses and just speaking into his life. And what I saw is that encouragement, hope began to arise in his life because you could see that there was this wrestle that was going on for what narrative he was going to lean into. Was he going to lean into, I'm a victim, I can't do anything narrative? Or was he going to lean into the heavenly narrative, the gospel narrative, the good news narrative, that no, you are more than an overcomer. You are a victor because of Christ. You are a winner. God is strong in your weakness. And encouragement began to arise. And I encouraged him and said, don't you stop praying for people to receive healing. Don't you stop following the vision that God's put in your heart. Because it's not about you, the vessel. It's about God's spirit operating through you. And I want to encourage you. You know, it's okay. It's okay to to be dependent on God. Sometimes people say, oh, Christianity, it's just a crutch for people. You know, how, how, you know, for weak people. How many of you have heard that statement before? Christianity is just a crutch for weak people. Hey, I'm okay with that. I know that Bear Grylls, he recently, you know, he shared about how, you know, about this whole idea about a crutch. And, and there he is. He's very much a manly, strong man. But he said, you know, there's times that I feel weak. We all have times of weakness in our lives because we're human beings. But we can lean on his strength. It's a good place to recognize I can't do it alone. I need God. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. You know, that's a, 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 a chapter of the Bible that I recite most days. Psalm 23. I love that scripture. God wants to encourage us. And I want to ask you today, you know, what narrative are you leaning into? 
Are you believing the lies? Because I believe that for some of you, the, you know, the enemy wants to try and neutralize your, your ministry, your calling, your purpose. He wants to stop you from doing what he has called you to do. But God is saying that in your weakness, he is strong. Well, I hope that this message has encouraged you today. God is calling us to come up higher. He wants to give us a better perspective. God is giving his church a greater cutting edge so that we might become more effective in our lives. He wants us to change the way that we see brokenness, that actually he's sharpening our our vision. And God wants us to be a people that we're leaning into the right narrative. That we're not allowing the enemy to derail us from what God has called us to do, but we're leaning into the good news narrative of what God says about us.